0: Hello, this is Gabriela Alcantara-Pols. This is the second episode of the Red Shoe series of podcasts. As September rolls in, today I'm going to talk to you about the Hispanic Heritage Month. Let's start with some numbers. There is nothing better than hard facts. That will help us understand who we Americans are. There's a total of 60,481 Spanish speakers or descendants of Spanish speakers who identify as Hispanic, Latin American, Latinos, or Latinx. This self-definition is in itself a historically long and culturally complex issue. United States' total population is 233,854 million, which means that roughly 20% of the population identifies as Hispanic. Sixty and a half million of the total population are considered Hispanic. Of that number, almost 40 million are of Mexican origin, or as some of them have called themselves, Chicanos. Five and a half million are Puerto Rican, or of Puerto Rican descent. Two and a quarter are Cuban, two million are Dominicans, and six million are from Central America. 4 million are South American. And to complete the picture, there are 3 million Hispanics of unknown origin. As of this month, these are the figures published by the Census Bureau. The dictionary defines the word inheritance as the set of goods, rights, and obligations that when someone dies are transmissible to her heirs, or as the set of characters that living beings receive from their progenitors or the moral, scientific, ideological trait or traits that having characterized someone continue to be seen in their descendants. And finally, the traits or circumstances of a cultural, social, or economic nature that influence their descendants, which having characterized someone continue to be seen in their descendants. Finally, The traits or circumstances of a cultural, social, economic nature which influence a historical moment coming from other previous moments. In short, which values, principles, and customs do we actively contribute today to our society that were learned from our Spanish-speaking ancestors? But which traits, tendencies, or characteristics can be attributed to this diverse group of beings? Trying to fit the cultural enormity of this group into one month is impossible, much less in a podcast. Originally, the Hispanic Heritage Month was not a month, but a week. President Lyndon B. Johnson declared the first Hispanic Heritage Week. And a paragraph of this proclamation reads as follows. It is with special pride that I call the attention of my fellow citizens to the great contribution to our national heritage made by our people of Hispanic descent, not only in the fields of culture, business, and science, but also through their valor in battle. In June of 1968, a representative from East Los Angeles, Congressman George E. Brown, introduced a bill to establish National Hispanic Heritage Week. This bill was seconded by Edward Roybal. And it's worth taking a minute here to recognize him as an indefatigable ally of Latinos living in the United States. He helped organize a community service organization in order to fight discrimination against Latinos. He was one of the founders of the Mexican American Political Association. Roible was the only vote against the congressional initiative that forced members of communist parties to register with the police. He demanded a public apology from the police chief who said that East Los Angeles residents were not unlike, and I quote, the savage tribes in the mountains of Mexico. Roy was also the one who wrote the first initiative to establish bilingual education in the country. Former President Obama awarded him the Presidential Medal posthumously. After 20 years... The week long Hispanic Heritage Celebration was extended to a month and is celebrated annually from September 15 to October 15. It was California Representative Esteban E. Torres who proposed the extension to a month, which was institutionalized during the George Bush administration in 1989. The dates during which several countries in North, Central, and South America liberated themselves from Spanish colonization coincide in the month of September. Mexico on the 16th, and Chile on the 18th of September of 1810. Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua in 1821. Belize was the last to gain independence from England on September 21st, 1981. During the 70s, The federal government created the term Hispanic. The intent was to create a common denominator for a large and diverse population. The common denominator is language. The term Hispanic has been rejected by those who question the heritage of colonialism. Defining ourselves as Hispanic is a gesture of recognition towards the so-called mother country, Spain. Spanish speakers in Latin America are much more than the heritage of the Spanish colonization. We emancipated ourselves more than two centuries ago, yes. We retain a local and evolved version of the colonizer's language, but calling us the Hispanics is like calling the descendants of the British pioneers in the US English because they speak English. The term Latino describes an origin in Latin American countries, including Brazilians, residents of Curaçao, Dominica, and Bahamas, even if they don't speak Spanish. The term Latino does not differentiate ethnicity or the color of our skin, but a geographic location of origin. In the 21st century, the term Latinx removes the particle O for masculine and A for feminine, switching it for an X, which allows the inclusion of those among us who do not identify as binary or consider themselves feminists. Language is complicated, and therefore, so is culture. Language is philosophy. Today, there are some Spaniards who insist that Mexico should be written with a J instead of an X. We, Mexicans, decided a long time ago how we want to write our name and our countries. But going back to celebrating the contributions of the Latino community in the United States, by its definition, is the celebration of its cultural heritage. Culture as the environment we create and in which we develop the values, the principles that guide our decisions and actions. Well, let's take a look at the values of Latinos or Latinx. Traditionally, sociologists and anthropologists think that Latin Americans value family more than career or business. It seems like Jeff Bezos didn't get the memo. They also say that our perception of time is different as that of the Anglo-Saxons. And well, the time set for a meeting is, let's say, more flexible than in other cultures, they also think that we tend to live more in the present and worry less about the future than other cultures. This concept is problematic because it separates countries into fast and slow economies. Of course, the slow economies are the third world. They consider Latin America's a slow economy, mainly due to the relaxed attitude of its residents in contrast to the more rigorous and proactive work attitude of Anglo-Saxons. The problem with this concept is that it masks the influence of the global corporations and foreign governments on the so-called third world economy. In a day-to-day reality, we can observe that Latina mothers are concerned about introducing basic values to their children, values such as honor, solidarity, compassion, cleanliness, and work ethic. What makes families more interconnected, closer to each other, is often solidarity and compassion. For instance, it is common in Latin families to keep the elderly in the family home instead of sending them to institutions when they require intensive care. We frequently see grandmothers shouldering the care of babies so that mothers can go to work. Obviously, cultural globalization and the demands of urban life homogenize families around the world. I can only speak from my experience. There is a certain warmth and humanity that I've only found in Latinos. The oft-quoted cliche of mi casa es su casa reflects this generosity of spirit. A Latina mother, in general, would never think of charging rent to her daughter or ask her to leave the maternal home as soon as she turns 18. Children are seen as a valuable contribution to everyday happiness. My friend Tita, from Puerto Rico, cooks every day for her two sons. One is 20, and the other 22. She buys their clothing and does their laundry every week. She makes sure that they have transportation, school, and education, and entertainment. She's a single mother and works full time, but I've never seen her slack in her responsibility to her sons. She's a normal Latina mother within the Latino normality. Appearance plays an important role among Latinos. There is a certain dignity in it, formalities and manners as well. Among the more conservative families, even language is monitored. Mexican families encourage and even pressure their children to get an academic education. This is true for most of Latin America, and it isn't only a foundation for economic and social mobility, but a source of pride. I grew up in Mexico City's suburbs, and though my mother was always interested in European and American culture, regional food played an important role in my childhood. Alicia? My Oaxaca nanny introduced me to eating chapulines, roasted crickets, and taught me how to make tortillas and tamales. She taught me not to be afraid of different food, to treat different flavors as a sensorial journey. Food was a hub for social connection, as it is in other countries, and a source of regional pride. But most importantly, the medium to create a sense of abundance. We Mexicans are generous at parties We say that we throw the house out of the window, that we go all out. We are generous to excess. We enjoy cooking and eating, and it helps the immense variety of fresh ingredients that we have at our disposal. Whoever has traveled to Mexico, Central, or South America has experienced this ability to create the illusion of abundance even in poverty. We sacrifice other consumables But there will always be food for an unexpected guest even if we have to borrow ingredients from our neighbors this generosity of spirit is also transmitted to art the rich abundant colorful and ornate art of the americas from the political cartoons of posada to the murals of rivera and to the easel work of the mexican women surrealists of the 60s there is a connecting thread a sensory taste for color a synesthesia music with a tradition that comes from the courts of Al-Andalus and mixed with native, African, and European Baroque courts also presents this taste. In the same realm, Latin American culture is a monument to humanism, from the cerebral poetry of Borges to the magical and ghostly world of Juan Rolfo. The heritage of Latin culture is much more than nachos, salsa, and Frida Kahlo. Latin American art is a universe in which one can travel a lifetime. Latin American contributions to art, science, politics, and social justice in the United States and the world are innumerable and significant, too many to contain in a podcast. We Latinos are simply human, as the Anglo-Saxons, the Japanese, or the Finns are. We're equal, despite the socioeconomic disparity that often encroaches on us. We work, love, and play like all human animals on this planet. Long before the Bracero program in 1942, Mexican immigrants have harvested the food we eat in this country. They continue to cook in every restaurant, from one to five stars, along with Salvadorans, Guatemalans, and Honduran immigrants. This month, say thank you to them. Peek into the kitchen and leave them a good tip. Eat something other than a burrito or a pupusa. This month, read a Latin American novel. Not only 100 years of solitude is worth reading, Explore the immense variety of Latin American art. Watch a movie or a documentary in Spanish. Let us then celebrate the mixture of all the elements that have contributed to the richness of the Latin culture. Despite demagogues that also exist in Latin America, dictators, narcos, and machos, that contrast with the exuberant richness of the Latin American spirit. Until next time, Gabriel Alcantara Pols, podcast edited and published by Johan Rashivega, and music by Moon Hooch.